19. Way to the wrappers, some of which have been shown to contain arsenic and other poisonous drugs, while dulling the intellect and weakening the body. Cigarette smoking also tends to make criminals of boys. 113 parents, teachers, school officers, and all who have the good of mankind at heart should take every precaution, including that of setting a good example, to prevent the formation of the tobacco habit by those of immature years. Habit versus self-control. The power of self-control, already emphasized for its importance in the economical expenditure of the nervous energy, is of vital importance in its relation to the habits of the body. Self-control is the chief safeguard against the formation of bad habits and is the only means of redemption from such habits after they have once been formed. The persistent cultivation of the power to control the appetites and the passions, as well as all forms of activity which tend to injure the body or debase the character, gives a tone to the nervous system which increases the self-respect and raises the individual to a higher plane of life. The worst habits can be broken and good ones formed in their stead. If only there is sufficient determination to accomplish these results, failure comes from not having the mind thoroughly made up and from not having back of the desire to do better. The strong will of a righteous determination, effects of external conditions, while the inner life and habits have most to do with the hygiene of the nervous system, a certain amount of attention may properly be given to those conditions outside of the body which affect directly or indirectly the state of the system. Noise, disorder, and confusion act as nervous irritants, but quiet, order, and system have the opposite effect, their island therefore, much in the management of the office, factory, schoolroom, or home that has to do with the real hygiene of the nerves as well as with the efficiency of the work that is being done, the suppression of distracting influences not only enables the mind to be given fully to the work in hand, but actually prevents waste of nervous energy. Although the responsibility for securing the best conditions for work rests primarily with those in charge, it is also true that each individual in every organization may contribute to the order or disorder that prevails. Social relations. In considering the external conditions that affect the nervous system, the fact must not be overlooked that man is a social being and has to adjust himself to an established social order. His relations to his fellow men, therefore, affect strongly his nervous condition and theirs also. For this reason the best hygiene of the nervous system is based upon moral as well as physical right living, along with the power of self-control and the maintenance of a correct nervous poise. There should be a proper regard for the welfare of others, on account of the ease with which one individual may disturb the nervous state of another. Those social forms and customs which tend to establish harmonious relations among men are truly hygienic in their effects, and may well be carried out in spirit as well as in letter. It is also a fact that a given mental state in one person tends to excite a like state in those with whom he associates. How important, then, that each and all cultivate, as habits, the qualities of cheerfulness, kindness, and goodwill, instead of the opposite states of mind, especially in the family, and other groups of closely associated individuals. Should the nervous effect of one member upon the others be considered and every effort made to secure and maintain harmonious relations? The high ideal, everything considered, the conditions most favorable to the healthfulness of the nervous system are in harmony with what our greatest teachers have wanted to as the higher plane of living. On this account a true conception of the value and meaning of life is of the greatest importance, an ever-present, strong desire to live a vigorous, but simple and noble. Life will suggest the proper course to pursue when in doubt and will stimulate the power of self-control. 
it will lead to the stopping of nerve leaks and to the maintenance of harmonious relations with one's fellows. It will cause one to recoil from the use of alcohol and other nerve poisons, as from a deadly serpent, seeing the end in the beginning, and will be the means eventually of leading the body into its greatest accomplishments. Summary. The nervous system, on account of its delicate structure, is liable to injury through wrong methods of using it and also through the introduction of drugs, or poisons, into the body. There are also found in our methods of living and systems of education conditions that tend to waste the nervous energy. To protect the nervous system from all these threatened dangers requires, among other things, the power of self-control. This enables the individual to direct his life according to his highest ideals and to free himself from habits known to be injurious. Children must have their nervous systems safeguarded by parents and teachers, especially must they be kept from becoming enslaved to some drug such as alcohol or the nicotine of tobacco. Exercises. 1. In what respect is the hygiene of the nervous system the hygiene of the entire body? 2. Of what value in the hygiene of the nervous system is the power of self-control? How is the habit of self-control formed? 3. Name several forms of activity that waste the nervous energy. 4. Name several influences that react unfavorably on the nervous systems of children. 5. How may too much reading prove injurious to the nervous system? 6. What forms of physical exercise are beneficial to the brain worker? 7. Why is the use of alcohol even in small quantities to be regarded as a dangerous practice? 8. Name several causes of nervousness. 9. What are the unanswerable arguments for preventing the use of tobacco by the young? 10. Why do cigarettes have a more harmful effect upon the body than other forms of tobacco? 11. Enumerate conditions in the schoolroom that dissipate the nervous energy of pupils, that economize it. Chapter XX Production of Sensations Our study of the nervous system has shown that impulses arising at the surface of the body are able, through connecting neurons, to bring about various activities, moving along definite pathways. They induce motion in the muscles, and in the glands the secretion of liquids. It is now our purpose to consider the effect produced by afferent impulses upon the brain and, through the brain upon the mind. 114 This effect is manifested in a variety of similar forms, known as the sensations. Sensations constitute the lowest forms of mental activity. Roughly speaking, they are the states of mind experienced as the direct result of impulses reaching the brain. In a sense, just as impulses passing to the muscles cause motion, impulses passing to the brain cause sensations. The feeling which results from the hands touching a table is a sensation and so also is the pain which is caused by an injury to the body. The mental action in each case is due to impulses passing to the brain. Care must be exercised by the beginner. However, not to confuse sensations with the nervous impulses, on the one hand, or with secondary mental effects, such as emotion or imagination, on the other. Sensations are properly regarded as the first conscious effects of the afferent impulses and as the beginning stage in the series of mental processes that may take place on account of them. In some way, not understood, the mind associates the sensation with the part of the body from which the impulses come. Pain, for example, is not felt at the brain where the sensation is produced, but at the place where the injury occurs. This association, by the mind, of the sensations with different parts of the body is known as, localizing the sensation, sensation stimuli, while the sensations are dependent upon the afferent impulses, the afferent impulses are in turn dependent upon causes outside of the nervous system, if these are removed, 
the sensations cease and they do not start up again unless the exciting influences are again applied. Any agency, such as heat or pressure, which, by acting on the neurons of the body, is able to produce a sensation, may be called a sensation stimulus. It has perhaps already been observed that the stimuli that lead to voluntary action, as well as those that produce reflex action of the muscles, cause sensations at the same time. From this we may conclude that sensation stimuli are the same in character as those that excite motion. On the other hand, it should be noted that sensations are constantly resulting from stimuli that are of too mild a nature to cause motion. Classes of sensations, perhaps as many as 20 distinct sensations, such as pain, hunger, touch, etc. are recognized. If these are studied with reference to their origin, it will be seen that some of them result from the action of definite forms of stimuli upon the neurons terminating in sense organs, while the others, as a rule, arise from the action of indefinite stimuli upon neurons in parts of the body that do not possess sense organs. The members of the first class and these include the sensations of touch, temperature, taste, smell, hearing, and sight are known as the special sensations. The others, including the sensations of pain, hunger, thirst, nausea, fatigue, comfort, discomfort, and those of disease, are known as organic, or general, sensations. These two classes of sensations differ in their purpose in the body as well as in the manner of their origin. Purposes of sensations. Any given sensation is related to the stimulus which excites it as an effect to a cause. It starts up or stops, increases in intensity or diminishes, according to the action of the exciting stimulus. As the stimuli are outside of the nervous system, and in the majority of cases outside of the body, the sensations indicate to the mind what is taking place either in the body itself or in its surroundings. They supply, in other words, the means through which the mind acquires information. By means of the special sensations, a knowledge of the physical surroundings of the body is gained, and through the organic sensations the needs of the body and the state of the various organs are indicated. In general, sensations are made to serve two great purposes in the body, as follows, 1. They provide the necessary conditions for intelligent and purposeful action on the part of the body, 2. They supply the basis for the higher mental activities, as perception, memory, thought, imagination and emotion. Intelligent action is impossible without a knowledge both of the bodily organs and of the body's surroundings. Protection and the regulation of the work of an organ necessitate a knowledge of its condition, while the adapting and adjusting of the body to its surroundings require a knowledge of what those surroundings are. The dependence of all the higher forms of mental activity upon sensations is recognized by psychologists and is easily demonstrated by a study of the manner in which we acquire knowledge. Without sensation there can be no thought. Steps in the production of sensations. The steps in the production of sensations are not essentially different from those in the production of reflex action. First of all, external stimuli act upon the fiber terminations in the sense organs, or elsewhere, starting impulses in the neurons. These pass into the central nervous system and there excite neurons which in turn discharge impulses into the cerebrum. The result is to arouse an activity of the mind a sensation. The steps in the production of any special sensation naturally involve the following parts. 1. A sense organ where the terminations of the neurons are acted upon by the stimulus. 2. A chain of neurons which connect the sense organ with the brain. 3. The part of the cerebrum which produces the sensation. Sense organs. The sense organs are not parts of the afferent neurons, but are structures of various kinds, in which the neurons terminate. 
Their function is to enable the sensation stimuli to start the impulses, by directing, concentrating, or controlling the stimuli. The sense organs enable them to act to the best advantage upon the neurons, when it is recognized that such widely different forces as light waves, sound waves, heat, pressure, and odors are enabled by them to stimulate neurons. The importance of these organs becomes apparent, as would naturally be inferred. The construction of any sense organ has particular reference to the nature of the stimulus which it is to receive. This is most apparent in the sense organs of sight and hearing. Simple forms of sense organs. The simplest form of a sense organ if such it may be called is one found among the various tissues. It consists of the terminal branches of nerve fibers which spread over a small area of cells, as a network or plexus. Such endings are numerous in the skin and muscles. Next in order of complexity are the so-called end bulbs. These consist of rounded, or elongated, connective tissue capsules, within which the nerve fibers terminate. On the inside the fibers lose their sheaths and divide into branches, which wind through the capsule. End bulbs are abundant in the lining membrane of the eye, and are found also in the skin of the lips and in the tissues around the joints. Slightly more complex than the end bulbs are the touch corpuscles. These are elongated bulb-like bodies, having a length of about one three hundredth of an inch, and occupying the papillae of the skin figure 144. They are composed mainly of connective tissue. Each corpuscle receives the termination of one or more nerve fibers. These, on entering, lose the medullary sheath and separate into a number of branches that penetrate the corpuscle in different directions. Figure 144 Figure 144 A touch corpuscle highly magnified. See text. The largest of the simple forms of sense organs are bodies visible to the naked eye and called, from their discoverer of Pacini, the Pacinian corpuscles. They lie along the course of nerves in many parts of the body, and have the general form of grains of wheat. See practical work. The Pacinian corpuscles are composed of connective tissue arranged in separate layers around a narrow central cavity called the core figure 145. Within the core is the termination of a large nerve fiber. These corpuscles are found in the connective tissue beneath the skin, along tendons, around joints, and among the organs of the abdominal cavity. Figure 145 Figure 145 Pacinian corpuscle. Magnified. A medlatted nerve fiber. B axis cylinder terminating in small bulb at CD concentric layers of connective tissue. E inner bulb. The simple forms of sense organs had a more or less general distribution over the body and are concerned in the production of at least three special sensations. These are touch, temperature, and the muscular sensation. Touch, or feeling, is perhaps the simplest of the sensations. The sense organs employed are the touch corpuscles, and the external stimulus is some form of pressure or impact. Pressure applied to the skin, by acting on the fiber terminations in the corpuscles, starts the impulses that give rise to the sensation. The touch corpuscles render the fiber terminations so sensitive that the slightest pressure is able to arouse sensations of touch. It is found that a change of pressure, rather than pressure that is constant, is the active stimulus, that all parts of the skin are not equally sensitive to pressure, and that the mind does not interpret equally well the sensations from different parts, are facts easily demonstrated by experiment. See practical work. The temperature sensation. Temperature sensations like those of touch, are limited almost entirely to the skin. They are of two kinds, and are designated as heat sensations and as cold sensations. Whether the sense organs for temperature are different from those of touch is not known. It is known, however, that the same corpuscles do not respond alike to heat, 
cold, and pressure, a change of temperature, rather than any specific degree of heat or cold, is the active temperature stimulus. The sensation of warmth is obtained when the temperature of the skin is being raised, and of cold when it is being lowered. This explains why in going into a hallway from a heated room one receives a sensation of cold, while in coming into the same hallway from the outside air he receives a sensation of warmth. It is for the same reason that we are able to distinguish only the relative, not the actual, temperature of bodies, muscular sensations. These are sensations produced by impulses arising at the muscles. Such impulses originate at the fiber terminations which are found in both the muscles and their tendons. By muscular sensations one is conscious of the location of a contracting muscle and of the degree of its tension. They also make it possible to judge of the weight of objects. Figure 146 Figure 146 Sense Organs of Taste A map of upper surface of tongue, showing on the left the different kinds of pupillae, and on the right the areas of taste after haul, areas sensitive to bitter, to acid, to salt, to sweet, B section through a pupilla, and small nerve connecting with taste buds at the epithelium, C single taste bud magnified, and nerve, the fibers of which terminate between the spindle-shaped cells A epithelial cells. The sensation of taste. The sense organs of taste are found chiefly in the mucous membrane covering the upper surface of the tongue. Scattered over the surface are a number of rounded elevations, or large papillae figure 146. Toward the back of the tongue two rows of these, larger than the others, converge to meet at an angle, where is located a papilla of exceptional size. Surrounding each papilla is a narrow depression, within which are found the sense organs of taste B figure 146. These are called, from their shape, taste buds, and each bud contains a central cavity which communicates with the surface by a small opening the gustatory pore. Within this cavity are many slender, spindle-shaped cells which terminate in hair-like projections at the end nearest the pore, but in short fibers at the other end. Nerve fibers enter at the inner ends of the buds and spread out between the cells. Figure 146 these fibers pass to the brain as parts of two pairs of nerves those from the front of the tongue joining the trigeminal nerve, and those from the back of the tongue, the glossopharyngeal nerve, the gustatory, or taste stimulus, is some chemical or physical condition of substances which is manifested only when they are in a liquid state, for this reason only liquid substances can be tasted, solids to be tasted must first be dissolved, the different taste sensations are described as bitter, sweet, sour, and saline, and in the order named are recognized as the tastes of quinine, sugar, vinegar, and salt. As to how these different tastes are produced, little is known. Flavors such as vanilla and lemon, and the flavors of meats and fruits, are really smelled and not tasted. Taste serves two main purposes, it is an aid in the selection of food and it is a means of stimulating the digestive glands. Page 161 Figure 147 Figure 147 Sense organ of smell. A distribution of nerves in outer wall of nasal cavity. 1. Turbinate bones. 2. Branch of fifth pair of nerves. 3. Branches of olfactory nerve. 4. Olfactory bulb. B diagram showing connection of neurons concerned in smell. The sensation of smell. The sense organs of smell are found in the mucous membrane lining the upper divisions of the nasal cavities. Here are found two kinds of cells in great abundance column-shaped epithelial cells and the cells which are recognized as the sense organs of smell. These olfactory cells are spindle-shaped, having at one end a slender, thread-like projection which reaches the surface, 
and at the other end a fiber which joins an olfactory nerve B figure 147. In fact, the olfactory cells resemble closely the cell bodies of neurons, and are thought to be such. The divisions of the olfactory nerve pass through many small openings in the ethmoid bone to connect with the olfactory bulbs, which in turn connect with the cerebrum A figure 147. The olfactory stimulus, only substances in the gaseous state can be smelled. From this it is inferred that the stimulus is supplied by gas particles. Solids and liquids are smelled because of the gas particles which separate from them. The substance which is smelled must be kept moving through the nostrils and made to come in direct contact with the olfactory cells. There is practically no limit to the number of distinct odors that may be recognized. Value of smell. Although the sense of smell is not so acute in man as in some of the lower animals, it will nevertheless a most important and full gift. It is the only sense that responds to matter in the gaseous state, and island for this reason, the only natural means of detecting harmful constituents of the atmosphere. In this connection it has been likened to a sentinel standing guard over the air passages. Many gases are, however, without odor, and for this reason cannot be detected by the nostrils. It is of especial importance that gases which are likely to become mixed with the air supply to the body have odor, even though the odor be disagreeable. The bad odors of illuminating gas and of various compounds of the chemical laboratory, since they serve as danger signals to put one exposed to them on his guard, are of great protective value. Sight and hearing. The sense organs of sight and hearing are highly complicated structures, and will be considered in the chapters following. Summary. Sensations are certain activities of the mind that result from excitations within the body or at its surface. These cause the neurons to discharge impulses which on reaching the cerebrum cause the sensations. Sensations are necessary for intelligent and purposeful action and for acquiring all kinds of knowledge, to enable the stimuli to act to the best advantage in starting the impulses. Special devices, called sense organs, are employed. These receive the terminations of the neurons, and by their special structure enable the most delicate stimuli to start impulses. The simpler forms of sense organs are those of touch temperature, taste, and smell. Exercises. 1. Compare sensations and reflex actions with reference to their nature and cause. Give steps in the production of each. 2. Give examples of sensation stimuli. State the purpose of sense organs. 3. How do general sensations differ from special sensations? 4. Of what value is pain in the protection of the body? 5. Show that sensations lead to the higher forms of mental activity such as emotion and imagination. 6. Of what value to the body is the localizing of the sensation? 7. What kinds of sense organs are found in the skin? State the purpose of each. 8. Through what sense avenues is one made aware of solids, of liquids, and of gases? 9. Of what special protective value is the sense of smell? Practical work to demonstrate the Pacinian corpuscles. Spread out the mesentery from the intestine of a cat and hold it between the eye and the light. Pacinian corpuscles will appear as small translucent bodies having the general form of grains of wheat. Secure a portion of the mesentery over a circular opening in a thin piece of cork and examine it with a microscope of low power. Follow the course of the nerve fiber to the nerve from which it branches. To show relative sensitiveness of different parts of the skin, holding a bristle between the fingers, bring the end in contact with the skin, noting the amount of pressure necessary to cause a sensation of touch. Test the lips, tongue tips of fingers, and palm and back of hand, trying different sizes of bristles, has the degree of sensitiveness any relation to the thickness of the cuticle, 
to show perceptive differences of different portions of the skin. Place the points of a pair of dividers on the back of the hand of one who looks in the opposite direction. Is one point felt or two? Repeat several times, changing the distance between the points until it is fully determined how near the two points must be placed in order to be felt as one. In like manner test other parts of the body, as the tips of the fingers and the back of the neck. Compare results obtained at different places, to locate warm and cold sensation spots. Slowly and evenly draw a blunt blunt piece of metal over the back of the neck, if it be of the same temperature as the skin, only touch sensations will be experienced, if it be a little colder the temperature of the room sensations of cold will be felt at certain spots, if slightly warmer than the body, heat sensation spots will be found on other parts of the skin, if the heat and cold sensation spots be marked and tested from day to day they will be found to remain constant as to position, inference. Chapter XXI The larynx and the ear man is a social being. His inclinations are not to live alone, but to be a part of that great human organization known as society. For men to work together, to be mutually helpful one to another, requires the ability to exchange ideas and this in turn requires some means of communication. 115 One means of communication is found in certain movements of the atmosphere, known as sound waves. In the exchange of ideas by this means there are employed two of the most interesting divisions of the body the larynx and the ear. The first is an instrument for the production of sound waves, the second is the sense organ which enables the sound waves to act as stimuli to the nervous system. Nature of sound waves, if some sonorous body, as a bell, be struck, it is given a quivering, or vibratory, motion. This is not confined to the bell but is imparted to the air and other substances with which the bell comes in contact. These take up the movements and pass them to objects more remote, and they in turn give them to others, until a very considerable distance is reached. Such progressive vibrations are known as waves, and, since they act as stimuli to the organs of hearing, they are called sound waves. Sound waves always originate in vibrating bodies. 116 They are transmitted chiefly by the air, which, because of its lightness, elasticity, and abundance, readily takes up the vibrations and spreads them in all directions figure 148, while these vibratory movements of the atmosphere are correctly classified as waves, they bear little resemblance to the waves on water, instead of being made of crests and troughs, as are the water waves, the sound waves consist of alternating successions of slightly condensed and rarefied layers of air, then, while the general movement of the water waves is that of ever-widening circles over a surface, the sound waves spread as enlarging spherical shells through the air. In sound waves, as in all other waves, however, it is only the form of the wave that moves forward. The individual particles of air that make up the wave simply vibrate back and forth. Figure 148 Figure 148 Diagram illustrating the spreading of sound waves through air. How sound waves act as stimuli. Any sound wave represents a small but definite amount of energy, this being a part of the original force that acted on the vibrating body to set it in motion. The hammer, for instance, in striking a bell imparts to it a measurable quantity of energy, which the bell in turn imparts to the air. This energy is in the sound waves and is communicated to the bodies against which they strike. 117 Though the force exerted by most sound waves island indeed, very slight. It is sufficient to enable them to act as stimuli to the nervous system. How sounds differ. Three distinct effects are produced by sound waves upon the nerves of hearing, and through them upon the mind. These are known as pitch, intensity, and quality. 
and they are dependent upon the vibrations of the sound-producing bodies, pitch, which has reference to the height, or degree of sharpness, of tones, is determined by the rapidity of the vibrations of the vibrating body, the more rapid the vibrations, the higher the pitch, the number of vibrations doubling for each musical interval known as the octave, intensity is the energy, or force, of the sound waves, this is recognized by the strength of the sensation and is expressed by the term loudness, intensity is governed mainly by the width of the vibrations of the vibrating body, and the width depends upon the force applied to the body to make it vibrate, quality is that peculiarity of sound that enables tones from different instruments to sound differently, although they may have the same pitch and intensity, quality depends upon the fact that most tones are complex in nature and result from the blending together of simple tones of different pitch, reinforcement of sound waves, the sound vibrations from small bodies are not infrequently reinforced by surrounding conditions so that their outgoing waves reach farther and are more effective than waves from larger bodies. This is true of the sound waves produced by most musical instruments and also those produced by the human larynx. Such reinforcement is effected into general ways by sounding boards and by enclosed columns of air. Stringed instruments violin, guitar, piano, etc. employ sounding boards, while wind instruments, as the flute, pipe organ, and the various kinds of horns, employ air columns for reinforcing their vibrations. In the use of the sounding board, the vibrations are communicated to a larger surface, and in the use of the air column the vibrations are communicated to the enclosed air. See practical work. Value of sound waves to the body. From a physiological standpoint, the value of sound waves is not easily overestimated. In addition to the use made of them in the communication of ideas, they serve the purpose of protecting the body, and in the sphere of music provide one of the most elevating forms of entertainment. Sounds from different animals, as well as from inanimate objects, may also be the means of supplying needed information. The existence of two kinds of sound instruments in the body the one for the production, the other for the detection, of sound is certainly suggestive of the ability of the body to adjust itself to, and to make use of, its physical environment. Both the larynx and the ear are constructed with special reference to the nature and properties of sound waves. The larynx the sound producing mechanism of the body consists of the 